0: I appreciated Jason's opening. It was, uh, he could have just went right on into the Word, could have read the Scriptures and and went right on. It was, it was dead on like it usually is, but I want to ask a few questions before we pray and, uh, kind of get our hearts thinking about this. And how many of us have ever, how many of us at times we we know we're doing stuff for the Lord, but we feel like there's something more that we should be doing. Like there's something missing. Or maybe just... Maybe you feel like there's something that you still have to accomplish before life's over. Or or maybe you're just... Hopefully you're not at a point in your life to where you're sitting there thinking, I got it all figured out. Life is good. I'm ready to go. Uh... But sometimes we can get put into a place to where maybe we have these thoughts of, "What am I supposed to be doing?" Or there's something more, or and then we just let them sit there. We don't move forward with them. We uh, they just kind of die with us, and uh, and maybe they don't even die with us. Maybe they just they don't move forward. Uh, we don't know how. We we wonder like, how do I? How do I get to the place where I feel like I'm being drawn, but I'm not even 100% sure what I'm being drawn to? And, uh, which could just be me, but I'd imagine it's most of us that God calls us sometimes when we don't understand what He's calling us to. And so today we're going to kind of talk about that and, uh, but I'm going to pray first because I want the Lord to speak because I have a lot of scripture and I'm going to paraphrase a lot of it and I don't want to skip his word just so I can get through it quicker. I want his words to come out and my words to uh not come out. So let's pray. Father God, I I thank you, Lord, for those who could be here today. Lord, I know you bring the people who need to hear words that you have. God, I pray today that you would speak, that I would get out of your way, that our hearts will be open to receive what you have. I pray, Lord, that that our hearts would be completely changed, none of us would walk out of here the same as we came in, and that we would allow You to begin to change us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Uh, I'm going to start out with a story I've heard. and uh, Yeah. So there's a, the, this lady. It was back in like probably early, mid-1800s. And she lived in Japan. And... Whenever she was a young teenage girl, there was this vase that she would always see at this, this, uh, store. And every time she'd pass by the store and she'd see the vase, she wanted it, but it cost more than she had. And so she would, she'd see it all the time and she began working more and more and trying to save up money to buy this vase because it's beautiful. And so she would, she'd would put money back, she'd put money back, she'd put money back and then, then she ended up, she gets older and she gets married. But the vase is still there uh, at that same store. And every time she went by, she sees it. And, and finally, she gets enough money up to buy that vase. And it meant the world to her. And so as life starts going on, things start changing in her life. But she always held on to that vase because she loved that vase. It, it was beautiful. She worked hard for it. She waited a long time for it, and she held on to it. Eventually, her and her husband migrate to America. And she's living in America. She still has the vase, and then her daughter gets older, and she has this vase, and she doesn't want this vase to just be lost. She doesn't want it to be Uh, something only she enjoyed, but she gives it to her daughter and she, she has this little ceremony like thing. She brings her over for dinner and, and they talk about it and she said, you gotta, you gotta protect this. It's valuable to me and it's just something that means a lot to me and I want you to have it. And so whenever that daughter got older, she did the same thing. She has this little ceremony. She has dinner with her and she, with her daughter and she says, it's it's valuable. It's something you need, and the, all these women would do this, and they'd pass it down from generation to generation. And every child, every woman who received it from their mother valued it, and they would put it in a little cabinet, you know, on display, but it'd be locked up so nobody can mess with it. And then, probably around nineteen sixties, nineteen seventies, the daughter who had it was getting older. But she never shared much about it with her daughter. Her daughter just knew it was something that was passed down that it was always something that you know every generation had it was old. the The vase at this time was worth probably around two to three hundred thousand dollars in value and it was uh but they didn 't know because they didn't they didn 't really look into it. The daughter didn 't know much about it. The mom never has a ceremony to pass it on to the daughter but when the mom dies, the daughter knew, hey, that's mine. So that daughter, whenever she starts raising her daughter, her daughter said, Mom, what is this vase? And she said, well, it's it's something that's been passed down from generation to generation. I don't even know if it has any value. I don't know much about it. Um, but she just kept it on a table. She just sat it right there on the table and and one day the mother comes home and the daughter's sitting there over top of this mess on the ground. And and uh, the mom said, what is that? And she, the daughter said, well, you know that that vase has been passed down from generation to generation. Uh, well, this generation just dropped it. And they swept it up and they threw it away. It was as simple as that. It had no value to them. And I think sometimes that's how our, our, our relationship with Christ is. Sometimes it's something that's been handed down over generation and generation. Maybe not from our parents, but somebody valued it enough to share it with you and to give it to you, and hopefully they made it seem like the most precious thing in the world. But sometimes we don't value it enough to hold on to it. Sometimes we don't place a value on it when we're around either family or friends or or coworkers that whenever they see what we have, that they know there's a great value in it. Instead, they're like, I don't know. I just know the guy's a Christian, and I don't know what that means, and I don't see it, and uh, or maybe family. You know, it, it, sometimes there's not a an importance put on it that we need to have. There's not a value in our Christianity and our walk with Christ, and it and we drop it. We drop it and it don't go anywhere. And uh, so I'm going to talk about three people today that uh, that all had. They were all had a relationship with God. I just want to, and it's great examples of Christians for today, even though they're all out of the Old Testament. We're going to be in 1 Samuel 1, and uh, we'll be in 1 Samuel for a while. We're going to go through, that's why we're going to paraphrase a lot of this. But, um 1 Samuel 1 starts out and it says, there was a certain man of ramathia Sophim of the hill country of Ephraim whose name was Elkanah the son of Joram, son of Elu, son of Tohu, son of Zuth, and Ephraimite. He had two wives. The name of one was Hannah, the name of the other was Paniah, And Peniah had children, but Hannah had no children. It goes on and says, Now the, this man used to go up year by year from the city to worship and sacrifice to the Lord of, of hosts at Shiloh where the two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas, were priests of the Lord. And I want you to remember those names too. Hophni and Phinehas, they were actually priests of the Lord. They were priests. They were raised up in church. On the day of Elkanah's sacrifice, he would give portions to Paniah, his wife, and to her sons and daughters, but to Hannah he gave a double portion because he loved her. The Lord had closed her womb and her rival used to provoke her uh, grievously to irritate her because the Lord had closed her womb. So it went on year after year. As often as she went up to the house of the Lord, she used to provoke her. Therefore, Hannah wept and would not eat. And Elkanah, her husband, said to her, Hannah, why do you weep? And why do you not eat? And why is your heart sad? Am I not more to you than ten sons? Sometimes this is the way our life works, is God's calling us for more. We know there's something more. There's something more. Uh, there's even something we desire that some would say, oh, you're being selfish. You know, you should be content with what you have. Or they say, hey, you should just be diligent with what you have. Uh, you have people like Paniah making fun of you maybe because you're not where you should be or or because, you know, just like Job. Job's friends were telling him all the reasons why he didn't have what he had. And you have friends like that in your life. Or you could have somebody like the husband here who says, well, don't you have enough? Aren't I enough? You've been blessed with so much. Why do you need more? But Hannah knew God had more for her, even though the husband didn't realize it, right? Sometimes people are wanting more, and we're like, well, just be good with what you have. You know, you got good stuff, you're blessed, you know, you're you're leading here, or you're doing this, you have a good job, maybe, whatever it is, but sometimes people tell you just settle for what you have, and God's trying to tell you I have more. Hannah knew there was more she knew she wanted a son and she had this desire in her heart for a son and I'd imagine that desire was given to her from God because it's in Scripture. It wouldn't be written if it wasn't. But sometimes we have these desires and we don't know how to handle that. We don't know what to do. We just know they're there. Right? So if you go on to verse 9, it says, After they had eaten and and drunk in Shiloh, Hannah rose... Now Eli, the priest, was sitting in a seat beside the doorpost of the temple of the Lord. She was deeply distressed and prayed to the Lord and wept bitterly. Have you ever prayed to the Lord about like your desires and wept, like literally wept bitterly for the Lord? Like, Lord, I, I need this. This is what you're calling me to. Do you cry out to the Lord like something really matters? Or do we go to the Lord softly and, and calmly and as we've been talking about in prayer group with with safe prayers and saying, Lord, if it's your will, would you do this? Or do we actually cry out and say, Lord, there's more. I know there's more. I want to see it, Lord. I, I desire it. Does our heart actually cry out to the Lord for things, or do we just go in and say, "Yeah, if you got it, Lord, I'd like to see it"? You know, there, there's different kinds ways you pray. You pray certain ways on days that you don't expect much, but on the days whenever you're desiring more, you'll pray more fervently. You'll pray harder. You'll pray deeper. You'll pray passionately. Hannah's at that moment; she's at a point that she needs what she what, what God's calling her to. She's desiring it. She's crying out. It says, And she vowed a vow and said, O Lord of hosts, if you will indeed look on the affliction of your servant and remember me and not forget your servant, but will give to your, son, your servant a son, then I will give him to the Lord all the days of life, and no razor shall touch his head. As she continued to pray before the Lord, Eli observed her mouth. Hannah was speaking in her heart, only her lips moved and her voice was not heard, therefore Eli took her to be a drunken woman. I think sometimes we will not pray the way Hannah prayed because we're afraid of how people may see it. Right? Sometimes we're afraid somebody will be like, oh, that person's undignified, that person You know, if they really, they just need to be content or they, there's a lot of reasons why we won't pray the way we should pray. But Hannah was done. She wasn't, she wasn't playing games no more. She was all in. She was crying. Lord, I will do this. But you know what else she said? Lord, if you do this, I will devote it to you. Sometimes we pray for something just for ourselves. Not because it's the Lord's will, not to give it back to the Lord, not to bless the Lord with it. It's because we're thinking more about us than we are the Lord. She knew she had a calling on her life. She knew she was supposed to have children, and she knew that that child was belonged to God. And she prayed it, and she promised it. And when she prayed it, she wasn't just saying it; she meant it, and that's why the Lord listened. But she was devout in her prayer. If you are weeping. In the temple at that time as a woman praying the way she was, you would get looks, but she didn't care. She was done. I, I think of this when I see this of, uh, David whenever he's dancing in the priestly robes outside and his wife sitting there, Michael said, that was undignified. How dare you? You disgraced your family. And he said, I don't care. I'm praising the Lord for what he did in Obed Edom's house. I'm praising the Lord that God's here. And he said, "And people will see that as distinguished, right? People who who matter will know that there was a reason that I was doing it for God. And and maybe if we would pray and live our lives more like that, like I don't care what people think when they see me chase the Lord the way I do, when they see me pray the Lord I do when they, the way I do, and then when they see me seek Him, all that's going to matter is that they know I'm seeking the Lord." And Eli said to her, How long will you go on being drunk? Put your wine away from you. That's what people say. I mean, they always want to correct you for how you're doing things. But Hannah answered, No, my Lord, I am a woman troubled in spirit. I have drunk neither wine nor strong drink, but I have been pouring out my soul before the Lord. I challenge you, when's the last time you truly poured your soul out to the Lord? And she's speaking to the high priest who I don't know that ever poured his soul out to the Lord. I am a woman troubled in spirit. Uh, Where are we at here? Do not regard your servant as a worthless woman. For all along I have been speaking out my, my great anxiety and vexation. Then Eli answered... Go in peace, and the God of Israel grant your petition that you have made to Him. And I like that, that Eli quickly realized that, oh, my bad. You know, sorry, I didn't realize. But he also had enough of a relationship with Christ to say, go, and it is done. Enough relationship with God. He recognized that God was going to answer this prayer. Go and let it be done. And she said, let your servant find favor in your eyes. Then the woman went away and ate, and her face was no longer sad because she believed. She cried and she cried and she cried. She got confirmation and she believed. And we know she gives birth to Samuel. She devotes Samuel to the temple, sits him with Eli. Every year she goes up and she brings him new garments and, and all these things, and he begins to find more and more favor with the Lord. And Eli begins finding less and less favor with the Lord. Then if we go into 1 Samuel 2, and I'm going to paraphrase a lot of this, but I'm going to start out in verse 12, and it says, Now the sons of Eli were worthless men. They did not know the Lord. Now, we have one woman, Hannah, who prayed that her son that she did not have yet, would be born and would be devoted to Christ, would be devoted to God, and she prayed and she prayed that God would bless that. And then she actually gave her son to the temple. Gave her son to God to serve God all of His days. And sometimes we want our families to serve God, but we don't devote them to God. We don't give them to God. We don't we don't raise them in that way we pray for it, but we don't put it into action. I'm sure Eli, which we'll see later, Eli actually rebukes his sons and tells them the way they're living is horrible. And and even though he's still a part of it, she put it into action. And and I remember, geez, probably 10, 12 years ago, uh, a young lady, she, her and her husband had two kids. One was three and one was five. And And she always wanted to pray for him. And one day she came to me and she said, Eddie, would you pray with me about my kids? And I said, yeah, everything okay? She goes, everything's great. She said, but I love my kids. And I want you to pray with me that every day I pray that if my kids ever in their life would fall away from the Lord, that God would just take them now and I would never have to see that. And this lady loved her kids, but that's a bold prayer. God, I devote my kids to You, and if ever they would fall away, take them now. And I was so moved by it, all I can do was agree with her in prayer. But if you can devote your life or your children's life or your whoever you're ministering to in that way, if you truly trust God with them, that, hey, God, if You're going to keep them here, then then they have to follow you. But if not, take them now. And you believe that and you pray that. That's a bold prayer, as we've talked about in prayer group, a bold prayer for you to trust that God can do that. But she said, I do not want to to live my life here on earth with my kids and not have them in heaven with me. She would rather have mourned in that moment and be blessed in heaven than she would be blessed here and mourned in heaven. Right? It's a powerful prayer, but it changes how you pray. How do we actually, do we truly want to pray those hard prayers? Do we really seek the way Hannah seeks the Lord? Or do we go in with an easy prayer and we're like, Lord, if you do it, but if you can make it like not that hard, I don't really want a whole lot. You know, like I want my son and I'll teach him who you are, but I, you know, I'm going to keep him at the house and I'm going to spoil him. That's not what she said. She prayed the hard prayer and she meant it and she stuck to it. And sometimes we're not willing to do that. Now these sons of Eli, who were worthless men, you got to be pretty bad to be called a worthless man in Scripture. That's a, that's one thing I do know. And it, uh, they were taking sacrifices that were brought into the temple. These they, the sacrifices were supposed to be there, and then the way it would work is as they're boiling the sacrifices, the priests would take a fork and they'd pull out their portion. Right? And that's what they had. These men started telling the, the people bringing sacrifices, you gotta give us the meat first. And they like, no, you gotta boil it, you gotta do everything right. And they said, no, we want the meat first. If not, you you're, you're doing wrong by God, which was not the truth. It was a lie and they were getting fat off of it. And it never t- technically tells you in here right away that Eli was a part of that. Later on, you see that he was and the fact that he was a, a very very heavy man tells you he was eating very very well. Um, so he was kind of overlooking like kind of looking past it. He didn't want to be bothered with it, right? That his kids were in church, they were serving in church and and uh I am sure from the untrained eye from people not paying attention enough, they thought Eli was doing a good job. And uh but obviously he wasn't cuz his kids were worthless. It says now Eli was very old this is in verse 22 and he kept hearing all this all that his sons were doing to all all of Israel and how they lay with the women who were serving at the entrance of the tent of meeting and he said to them why do you do such things for I hear of your evil dealings from all those people No, my sons, it is no good report that I hear. The people of the Lord spreading abroad. If someone sins against a man, God will mediate for him. But if someone sins against the Lord, who can intercede for him? And that's a scary thought. You know, if I wrong Jason, God can mediate that. I can be forgiven for that. But whenever I wrong God, it's a whole lot different. Says, but they would not listen to the voice of their father, for it was the will of the Lord to put them to death. So their hearts had already gotten so hard that God was done with them. And we see that with people nowadays, but you know what he didn't do? He didn't kick them out of the temple. He didn't stop them from what they were doing. He didn't rebuke them. He didn't, he was just saying, Hey, don't do this stuff anymore. It looks bad. It's pretty much all he's saying. Hey, this don't look good. And sometimes people say that with other people, you know, like if they don't want to get dirty with them, they're like, hey, you shouldn't do that. It don't look good. But there's no real rebuke. There's no, hey, if you don't do this, this is what's going to happen. I can no longer accept this. I can't help. I can't, you know, there's no accountability to those kids. He just said, hey, stop doing it. And he left it at that. And at all this time, Samuel is getting higher and higher in rank, and he's doing good, and the Lord's speaking to him. Many of us have seen the stories of Samuel hearing from the Lord, and we know he's the one that anoints David, and, and we, he sees so much going on. But when we get to verse 27, it says, uh, "...and there came a man of God to Eli and said to him, Thus says the Lord, Did I indeed reveal myself to the house of your father?" when they were in Egypt, subject to the house of Pharaoh. Did I choose him out of all the tribes of Israel to be my priest, to go up to my altar to burn incense, to wear an ephod before me? I gave to the house of your father all my offerings by fire from the people of Israel. Why then do you scorn my sacrifices and my offerings that I command for my dwelling and honor your sons above me? By fattening yourselves on the choicest parts of every offering of my people Israel. Now this is him pointing out that everything his sons were doing, he was a part of. And he was giving more honor to his sons and, and looking out more for his sons than he was for God. Right? He was more worried about his family than he was the things of the Lord. And he's the priest. He's the high priest. He's the one who's supposed to be looking out for this stuff. And it's not. Therefore the Lord, the God of Israel, declares, I promised that your house and the house of your father should go in and out before me forever. But now the Lord declares, far be it from me. For those who honor me, I will honor. For those who despise me shall be lightly esteemed. Behold the days are coming when I will cut off your strength and the strength of your father's house so that there will not, not be an old man in your house. And that's a uh that's a scary thought. They no longer have a place in the Lord, they're gonna die young. Uh God's pretty much told him we're we're done. I'm cutting you off, this is it. And then when we get to first Samuel four We see all this start to play out. and It says a man from Benjamin ran from the battle line and came to Shiloh the same day when his clothes torn and with dirt on his head, when he arrived, Eli was sitting on his seat by the road watching for his heart trembled for the ark of God. And when the man came into the city and told the news and the city cried out, when Eli heard the sound of the outcry, he said, "What is this uproar?" Then the man hurried and came and told Eli. Now Eli was 99 years old, and his eyes were set so that he could not see. and the man of Eli, or the man said to Eli, "I am he who has come from the battle. I fled from the battle the day." And he said, "How did it go, my son?" And he brought the news and answered him and said, Israel has fled before the Philistines. And there was also a, has been a great defeat among the people. Your two sons, Hophni and Phinehas, are dead. And the Ark of God has been captured. As soon as he mentioned the Ark of God, Eli fell over backwards from his seat. By the side of the gate, and his neck was broken and he died, for the man was very old and very heavy. He judged Israel for 40 years. What's very shocking to me was his son's dying didn't seem to have much effect on him, but whenever God was affected, it did. I believe Eli loved God. I believe Eli had a heart for God. I just don't think he had a heart to share God and to to stand up for God the way he should have. Sometimes people will raise their kids or people will minister to somebody or they'll be in a a work setting or maybe around their friends. And you can be a Christian and you can follow God and you can serve the Lord for 40 years. And never does your heart actually... Care about the people around you. You may care, but you don't really care. You just kind of like, as long as it doesn't bother me too much, what does it affect me? Eli was doing the Lord's work. He was running the temple. You know, the sacrifices were coming in. He was praying. But he didn't really seem to care about the people around him. It was more about, I'm going to do my part, I'm going to get blessed. And then hopefully I don't have to see the worst. Hopefully I don't have to see anything too bad. And, uh, I think we can get to that point where we don't always do like Hannah. Hannah's whole thought process is, I not only want to serve the Lord, I want everybody under me to serve the Lord. I want to bless Him with what He blesses me with. You know, if, if I'm a minister, I've, I've done youth groups for years and, and, youth ministry for years and if a kid ever came through and my heart wasn't for them to serve the Lord and break for them to serve the Lord while I'm serving the Lord then then I was pointless. it was worthless for me to even do the ministry. I shouldn't have been there if I wasn't concerned about every one of their 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 hearts and their future and I still do. but it goes for our families, it goes for acquaintances it goes for everything we do. our hearts should be so much set on people being saved that it hurts. That we're like Hannah and we're weeping. God, I want to see this. I know there's something more. I know there's more I can do. And I'll devote it to you. Hannah weeped for it. And sometimes we're like Eli and we're just getting fat. Eli reprimanded his kids, but it looked like he was still eating the food that they were bringing in. Right? And and I'm going to... One other person I'm going to talk about, and I don't know how what time it is. I'm, all right. One more person I'm going to talk about is Hezekiah. And Hezekiah was a king after David, so shortly after him. It's going to be in 1 Kings uh, 20s where he, they talk about him. And Hezekiah was a great godly man. Served the Lord. Uh, you know, he returned people to the temple. He began to tear down idols that nobody else did. Scripture actually tells us out of all the kings before him, he was the one who served God the, the most righteously. And that included David. And that says a lot because David was a man after God's own heart. Hezekiah cared a lot. He even tore down the uh, the pole with the snake on it that Moses put up that'd been there the whole time. Nobody ever tore it down. He cared. He was a uh, very godly man. He was twenty five when he became the king. Uh, he even did something that most didn't. That the temple, the vessels in the temple, he even sanctified them and made them righteous and holy. They could only be used for God. He did a lot for the Lord. And then whenever we get to First Kings 20, we see this. It says, in those days Hezekiah became sick and was to, at the point of death, and Isaiah the prophet, the son of Amos, came to him and said to him, thus says the Lord, set your house in order for you shall die, you shall not recover. Then Hezekiah turned his face to the wall and prayed to the Lord. Now, O Lord, please remember how I have walked before you in faithfulness and with a whole heart and have done what is good in your sight. And Hezekiah wept bitterly. Here's a man concerned for his life. And he begins praying the way Hannah prayed, right? For his life. And it said, before Isaiah had gone out of the middle court, the word of the Lord came to him, turn back and say to Hezekiah, the leader of my people, thus says the Lord, the God of David, your father, I have heard your prayer, I have seen your tears, behold, I will heal you. And this is a man who knew how to pray for himself. God healed him, right? He was going to die, he was surely going to die, and God healed him. And it said, On the third day you shall go up to the house of the Lord, and I will add fifteen years to your life. Can you imagine that you're about to die, and God's like, Yep, fifteen more years, that's what I give you. You would either you would make the best of those fifteen years, or at least you would make the best of that fifteenth year. Right? But you would know. God blessed you with it, and that's a pretty neat to know. I would deliver you. And the city out of the hands of the king of Assyria and I will defend the city for my own sake and for my servant David's sake. And Isaiah said, bring a cake of figs and let them take the, and lay it on the boil that we may recover. And Hezekiah said to Isaiah, what shall we do? What shall be the sign that the Lord will heal me? bless. like he's still worried about this healing thing and then I shall go up to the house of the Lord on the third day and he- Isaiah said, this shall be the sign to you from the Lord that the Lord will do the things that he has promised shall the shadow go forward ten steps and go back ten steps and Hezekiah answered is is it is an easy thing for a shadow to lengthen ten steps rather let the shadow go back ten steps. And Isaiah the prophet called to the Lord and he brought the shadow back ten steps by which it had gone down on the steps of Ahaz. Wouldn't you think the sign of you being healed is living fifteen more years? You know, but we do that sometimes. We do want confirmation. And I'm not mocking what he did. He actually he had a heart for God and when he seeked the Lord, the Lord blessed him because he had a heart for the Lord. But what I will point out is, is... He didn't always have a heart for people, necessarily. And uh, as we keep going into scripture, we see that the Babylonian leaders come to him, and he begins to brag about all that he has. He gets he gets to the where he's he's arrogant. He says, "Hey, this is everything I have in my storehouse." And he begins showing them everything he has. He's uh, there's a little bit of pride there, which we do. I mean. You ask me everything the Lord's done, I'll show you all of it, but it uh but I would show you actually more out of what God's done. But I'm sure I have a lot of pride too. In verse 16 it goes on and it says, "Then Isaiah said to Hezekiah, Hear the Lord the word of the Lord. Behold, the days are coming when all that is your house and that which your fathers have stored up till this day shall be carried to Babylon. Nothing shall be left," says the Lord. And some of your own sons who will come from you, whom you, you will father, shall be taken away, and they shall be eunuchs in the place of the king of Babylon. Then Hezekiah said to Isaiah, now mind you, he's just being told that they're going to fall. His kids are going to be servants. They're going to be eunuchs. And all this demise is going to come because of his pride in the Lord, in his possessions and him being arrogant, right? Then Hezekiah said to Isaiah, The word of the Lord that you have spoken is good, for he thought, Why not if there will be peace and security in my days? So he was only worried about what it was going to look like for him. He wasn't worried about afterwards. He wasn't worried about the legacy he left. He wasn't worried about about what his kids were going to have happen. As long as it was good in his day, it was enough. And, and sometimes I think we can do that. You know, we, we can, we can even in a church, we can get to the point to where as long as the church is doing good now, what happens when I'm gone? That's on them, right? We can get to the point to where, you know, you, you can look at young people or you can look at your friends or something else and you're like, well, I'm serving the Lord and I can't be held accountable for what they're doing, which is a lie because we know we're very much held accountable for how we react or interact with those around us. You know, their blood is on our hands. It's it's something that we do oftentimes. We have this heart of Hezekiah or Eli or somebody like that, and very rarely do I think we have Hannah's in our, in our midst. Hannah really wanted to see God blessed. She wanted what God had. She wanted more. What if whenever this happened here, Hezekiah turned his face to the wall and began weeping, for the healing of his people? What if he would have turned his face to the wall and began weeping for his sons? What if Eli would have done that? What if Eli would have acted the same way that Hannah acted? How much different would things have been? He'd just seen, not long before Hezekiah seen, God heal him when he cried out to him and and begged him for healing. And God said, I'm going to bless you with it. And then he's told this stuff, and he's like, alright, as long as it don't affect me. And it literally says that. That's why it says. says, Why not? If there will be peace and and security in my days, why not? What do I care? It ain't going to affect me. Right? And I think sometimes we can get that. We're all going to heaven. If you got a relationship with Jesus, you're going to heaven. But what kind of legacy do we leave? What kind of what's going to happen to those around us? What kind of accountability is the Lord going to put on us for those that we're not crying out and weeping for? How do we pray? How do we, you know, when you know God, I know there's more. How do we pray? Do we just say, well, at least I got salvation. Or are we weeping? Are we crying? Lord, show me what to do. Show me, Lord. I'll bless you with it. I'll pour it back to you. But I need to know. Or do we just go through our days like they were and saying, okay, okay. I guess as long as everything's still working fine, I'm okay with it, but you know God's calling for more. I think sometimes we're so focused on getting through this world that we forget how we leave this world and what we leave behind. And it's just as important how the world looks when we leave as it is how it looks when we're here. And sometimes we don't think that. We're just like, Lord, take me. I'm good. You know, and I've uh, I struggled for years especially in youth ministry, of I've always wanted to go to heaven. I've always thought like, Lord, if You would take me now. But my biggest struggle was always, Lord, don't take me though if I can still save people, Lord. I don't want to go without the possibility of of reaching somebody. And if there's still more I can do, it always scared me that maybe somebody would fall because I wasn't doing enough. Maybe somebody wouldn't make it to the Lord and I, I know I don't do enough. You know, I... uh I shared not long ago about the young man from my youth group who, who OD'd and died. You know, I talked to his mom just Tuesday. She called me wanting to talk and and uh, I don't know. Maybe my heart could have cried more for them, you know. We tried and she, she even said that and we we had a good conversation, but I, I wish I would have been more like Hannah in that situation than I was Eli or Hezekiah. Right? I serve the Lord. I love the Lord. We hang out. We have fun. But if I'm not sharing that with others, if I'm not, my heart's not aching for others to be a part of that, if I'm not crying out for it, if I'm not weeping in prayer, if my prayers aren't hitting, if I'm not hitting my knees, just wanting to see others part of that, I don't think I'm quite there. I think I'm going to die and not leave a very good legacy and I don't want that. I want when I leave to, to know that I did everything possible that the Lord called me to do to help others, to save others, to to minister to others, to bring them alongside me. But I'm not there yet. And Richard, you can come one up, but I uh I get challenged by that. It's it's very uh very interesting and i'm going to close with this little story i heard of uh i thought it was kind of cute but then when you think about it it uh it may be where we're at sometimes and there's this this little girl she's out playing with her uh with her friend from next door and her parents are in the house and the windows are open and it's a beautiful day and they'd just gotten back from church and the little girl was talking to her friend and her friend said so so what's church like? And, and she goes, well, it's kind of like school, but for God. And she goes, oh, okay. And she said, what'd you learn? She goes, well, I learned today that, you know, if we have a relationship with Jesus Christ and, and we accept him as our savior, we get to go to heaven and be with him. And that little girl said, well, how did I do that? And she said, well, you got to pray for it. You got to ask for it. She goes, okay. And so they prayed right, right there. This little girl led her friend into this prayer. And then after they're praying, the other little girl, the little girl who just said the prayer with her said, what about my mom? And she goes, well, your mom can go to heaven too, but she has to pray to get Jesus. And she goes, oh, okay. And she said, unless you don't want her to go, then don't tell her. Right? And, and I think that's where sometimes we're at. We don't tell the Lord. Or tell people. We, we act like we want them there, but if we really don't want them there, don't tell them about Jesus. If you really want people there, you'll tell them, you'll pray for them, you'll 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 live your life in a way that that shows that you want to be there. Your life changes. You're you're you start becoming more of an evangelist for Christ than you do a uh, a survivor for Christ. Because sometimes I think that's what we do. We we live to survive more than we do to. To evangelize, to to share, to bring others close to the Lord, and uh, I don't know about you, and I, I fall short myself, but I don't want to be that way. I want to live the kind of life that that others are like. I I'm here because He cared enough to hit His knees and cry out for me. Someone close us in prayer, and uh, if you need prayer, we're here. We'll worship, but Father God, I. Uh, I thank you, Lord, for who you are, Lord. I thank you that that you loved us so much that Jesus, you loved us so much that you you gave up all that you have, Lord. Your, your Scripture says you emptied yourself of who you are. You wept for us. You suffered for us. You allowed Yourself to be our sacrifice. You died for us and You rose again for us so that we could know You, Lord. And Lord, we know there's more for us. We know that You have more for us to do. We know that, that there's so many out there who don't know You. Lord, I pray You put that burden on our heart. Lord, I pray we'd be a people who would weep for those around us. Lord, I pray that we would, we would leave a legacy that's far bigger than, than who we are. And that, God, we would not be like Hezekiah and said, as long as there's peace in my life. Let us cry out the way Hezekiah did whenever he wanted his own life saved. He said, Lord, to love You, and Hezekiah loved You. But he didn't know how to love others as himself, God, so let us do that. Help us, Lord. We want to grow in You. We thank You, Lord. Just minister to us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. to the Lord, and we pour our hearts to God, and we, you know, you, you first do have to pour your heart out to Him. You have to let Him know your desires. You have to know, let Him know where you're at, and uh, it takes those times, you know, if you ever read, you, you know, when we see Jesus's prayer, it starts out with addressing where we're at then it's about others, so I don't want you to think that when you go into prayer and then you're, you're praying for yourselves and you're asking the Lord to do something or anything like that, that, that that's wrong, we should, we should always pour our hearts out to God, we should tell Him our desires, we should, we should receive our healing from the Lord, but it shouldn't stop there, it should go further. Always go deeper and Lord, what would you have me do? Lord, I need what you tell me, and Lord, hear my heart for these people. And, and you know, I've always heard you, you know, it's quick to point out a problem with somebody. The problem is, is, you should be praying for somebody, not pointing out problems. And if you were praying for them, your heart would change for how you see them. And uh, you can be frustrated with somebody, you can have. Uh, you can be angry with them. You could; they could be considered an enemy to you. But if you stop and you pray for them, your heart really breaks for them, and, and not just your kids, but for for everybody in your life. You'll begin changing how you look at them. You'll be, begin changing how you pray. You'll begin changing. Uh, you'll just change. It'll change you. Prayer changes you, and it, uh, we have to do that, and we have to. Hezekiah was smart in praying to the Lord for his healing. But he fell short when he could have went further. Now, that's what we need to do. We need to take our prayers further. And I'm going to close with some prayer and then uh, pray for safe travels. But I'm also going to pray for all those who are sick in bodies. Let's go, Lord, in prayer. Father well, God, I thank you, Lord, that you, uh, you love us so much that we can be in your presence, that we can go to you for all of our concerns. Lord, I pray that your Holy Spirit teaches us how to pray, Lord, and that, that you've given us your Holy Spirit for guidance and to to teach us and to lead us, Lord. And the, Lord, I pray that uh, as we go through our week, Lord, we'd be better at seeking you for all things. I pray that we'd be better at crying out to you for for not only ourselves, Lord, but for everybody around us, for, the, for our loved ones, Lord, for our, for our families, for our friends, for our co workers, Lord, for the strangers we come across, Lord, for those who would be considered an enemy, Lord. You said to pray for them, and we will, Lord. We've got to pray for those who are sick in body right now, Lord, that uh, maybe they're at home right now or wherever they're at, God, that you would just begin to touch them, Lord. We, we're seeing more and more, Lord, of, of cancer and sicknesses and, and, and kidney problems and lung problems and. Lord, you're the the only one big enough to heal all that, Lord, to take care of all that. So we pray you would just touch them, that you would heal them, Lord. Lord, we pray for safety as we we travel today, either home or over to Evansville, that you would would keep us safe, Lord, and that, uh, Lord, I pray our lives would be a blessing to you all you give us, Lord, we pour back out to you as a blessing. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.